Lord, that is so true. It is so right that we proclaim that. It is so fitting that we ascribe to you all of the glory that we possibly can. You are infinitely worth so much more than we could ever give. But Lord, I pray that you would look upon your church right now and you would see our hearts that truly cry that out, that God, you are my God. You are my God. You are glorious. You are righteous. You are holy. You are true. And it is fitting that we praise you. Oh Lord, put a new song, a new song in our mouths for that, Lord, tonight. Oh Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear your word, that we would humble ourselves so readily, knowing that your ways are right, that your word is true. It is our authority. It is the lamp to our feet. It is the light to our path. To disregard it, to disobey it, just leads to destruction. So Lord, refresh us in that truth tonight. I pray as it goes forth, you would find hearts, every heart of this place to say, Lord, here I am, speak. I need your refreshing word and, and remove distractions, oh God, from this place, I pray. Whatever the cares of the week were or the cares of the week ahead, we just choose in faith to not hold on to those in pride, but in humility to cast those upon you right now, saying, here it is, Lord. Here's what's on my heart. You take it. You take it. Let me hear from you. I need you. Lord, be with my mouth and guard it from error. Holy Spirit, grant to me your understanding, unction, and utterance for the glory of Jesus Christ. Build your church, we pray. Amen. Amen. Loved ones, you may be seated. You may be seated. Wow, well, praise the Lord. There is joy. There is joy in the house of the Lord. Amen. How precious is that to be together. Let's open up our Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Here we are continuing on in our series entitled, Jesus Over the Church, Living in Uncommon Community. And just so we are on the same page and we lock this in as not just a Saturday night thing, but a an everyday reality, we need to understand what an uncommon community is biblically. And so you'll see it right here on the screen. If you haven't got it memorized yet, loved ones, I encourage you to do so. God's people living out God's word together. You cannot live in uncommon community by yourself. If you are a Christian, you are called by our King, our Head, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ, to live in uncommon community. There's no one anothering by yourself. Living out God's word together, here, this is key, as we'll see tonight, by God's spirit, the Holy Spirit, for God's glory. God's people living out God's word, say it all, together. Come on, let's try that. We gotta do better than that. Come on, loved ones. Put that on the screen again, tech team. Let's go. Here we go. God's people living out God's word by God's spirit for God's glory. Praise the Lord. And today we are going to see one of the most critical things that must be, loved ones, increasingly present in our lives individually and in the church corporately if we are to live faithfully in uncommon community and see the church flourish, see the church flourish as it was intended to be by the grace of God for the glory of God. And without this key piece we're gonna look at tonight, guess what? Uncommon community cannot happen, it will not happen. So we need to lock in, and what are we speaking of? An uncommon community lives with uncommon character. Uncommon Character. What kind of character are we talking about? Christ-like character. The character of Jesus. And here's the truth we need to understand. Write this down. It's going to set our trajectory. If you are here and you are saved in Jesus, here it is, you are called to live like Jesus. If you are saved in Jesus, you and I are called to live like Jesus. Being saved in Jesus Christ is not just a get-out-of-hell-free card. There are responsibilities 
that he's given us. There are implications of what salvation means for our lives. And if you and I are saved in Jesus, we are called to live like Jesus. But I think right away, right after that statement, you're going to see there's a problem, isn't there? There's a problem, a big problem, that you and I face every day. There is a, um, have you noticed, loved ones, there's a character crisis in the church today. Do you agree? There is a character crisis in the church today. Why? Because here's the problem. We often don't live like Jesus, do we? Let's just be honest. Love you so much. But we often don't live like Jesus. In increasingly living with his character in what we say, what we think, and how we act. And subtly, it happens so subtly, loved ones, we, this mindset of the world starts to creep into our lives and into the church. The mindset of the world that says, well, godly character is good, in theory. I mean, there's nothing we're going to talk about from Colossians 3 tonight that the world would be like, no, we don't need more compassion in the world. No, we don't need more love in the world. There's nothing it's going to disagree with on here, in theory. And we can live with that. God, the character is good with theory, but uh, here's the thing, the mindset of the world that so often creeps into our lives, but just don't let godly character hinder you from getting what you want. Don't let your character in Christ stand in the way of actually fulfilling that desire of the flesh to what you want to look at on the computer screen. Don't let godly character hinder you from that Getting that position in work, even if it means you need to fudge the results. Don't let godly character keep you from having more money in your pocket. Because when you live with integrity, as Christ intends, we're not going to fudge our income tax. See that? Godly character is good in theory. Just don't let it get in your way of your practice. Have it as an add-on. And here's another one. Godly character is really good, but when things don't go your way, just start grumbling. It's okay. They're not going your way. You deserve to grumble and complain and have your way, don't you? Don't let character stop you from that. We're seeing the issue, aren't we? Put your character aside until it's more convenient to have it. Becomes secondary. And what's the result of doing this? You see it all over the church today. We definitely see it in the world today. What's the result of this? The church that is called to be the picture of the community of heaven looks really common to the rest of the world, doesn't it? Don't live with godly character when someone criticizes you. Just slam them back. It looks really common to the rest of the world, doesn't it? Where's the distinction? So often there is no distinction. And so you got to say, well, what does this look like? Well, just go back up a few verses to Colossians chapter 3, 5, and 8. And the Lord outlines this through the Apostle Paul. It says, put to death, therefore. You've been, if you're saved in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. Put to death, therefore. What is earthly in you? Here it is, really. Here it is. Sexual immorality. Put to death the pornography, the impurity, what you're looking at on the internet, what you're looking at on the TV screen, what you're thinking about. Put to death that. The, and he goes on to say the passion. What's the passion? The lust. Yes, the sexual lust that's there, but the lust of the flesh that just craves more and more and more. More status, more money, more opportunity, more position. He says put that to death. That will not lead you to Christ-like character. He's not, he's not coming down on ambition, but he's coming down on adultery. Idolatry. He says, put to death the passion. Put to death the evil desires. Keep going, Colossians 5. And coveting the wanting of more, which is idolatry. The wanting of more, the coveting. I'm not content with what God has seen to give me by his grace and his love and his goodness and knows what's best for me. I want more. More position, more status, more money. What is it? 
Then he keeps going. Verse 8, he says, he goes on to say in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. He repeats it, anger. Man, there's a lot of anger in the church today, isn't there? Just being unleashed on brothers and sisters in Christ and against the world. He says, put it to death. Wrath, that is, you know what wrath means here? It means outburst. Outburst. There should be no shouting matches in the household of God. Ever. That's not the character of Jesus Christ. We're not tearing one another down in wrath. Malice, that is like encompassing of all evil deeds. Slander, that means degrading or defaming another's good name, whether to their face or behind their back. There's no place for it. Obscene talk from your mouth, laughing at crude jokes which have no place in the life of a Christian. Obscene talk from your mouth. And here it is, lying to one another. And the, the culture has gotten so bad, you can't even tell which news is fake and true anymore. May it not be so in the church. There's a character crisis. Here, here's the truth we need to lock into. Big idea for the sermon today. You'll see it on the screen. Write it down. Because Jesus, loved ones, because Jesus has made us new, we must put on the new self. Because Jesus has made us new, we must increasingly put on the new self. Listen, listen, loved ones. It may not be of first importance to the world, but I'll tell you, godly character is of first importance to Christ. Godly character in front of people when you're by yourself is of first importance to Christ. All else of uncommon community flows out from it. Christ-like character must inform all our practice. It is never to get in the way of our practice. Okay, that's the intro. Are you feeling convicted? I am. All right, let's keep going. Come on, go Lord, huh? We got the Holy Spirit. Let's get after it. Text, here's two truths that we must believe and increasingly live out in Christ's power. If we are to see this uncommon community that is the church, the community of heaven, flourish for God's glory that he displays through his uncommon character in us and through us. You ready to go? Let's stand under the authority of God's word. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. Let's go, church. It says this. Put on then, there it is, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassion, oh yeah, I just love, let's read this together. Well done, let's go church. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Hear the word of the Lord and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, uncommon character marks uncommon community. The first thing we see from this text is this. We must live from our identity in Jesus. If we are going to live with uncommon character, we must live from our identity in Jesus. Here's the question we're confronted with. Christian, your identity is found in Jesus alone. I'm going to say that again. Christian, eyes up here, loved ones. I know you're writing it down. Love it. Don't worry. We'll get to it. Your identity, if you are saved in Jesus Christ, your identity is found in Christ alone. Question, are you living from it? Are you living from it? Let's get our context. Here we are, 60 to 62 AD. The Apostle Paul is writing from a prison in Rome to the church in Colossae, modern-day Turkey. You'll see a picture of it there on the map. He's over there in Rome, and he's writing to the church in Colossae. The church is about five to ten years old. Praise the Lord. Hope Ottawa is coming up on its fifth anniversary by the grace of God. Amen. Yes, go Lord. And the church in Colossae was made up of a mixed population of Jews and Gentiles. But here's the thing. This church is facing a crisis. 
There is false teaching that is spreading rampant in it, and it is denying the true gospel, the truth about the person of Jesus, who he is, and his work on the cross for salvation. And this teaching is taking root. And instead of living in uncommon community and pressing on to greater maturity in Christ by the power of the Spirit and putting on the new self and growing in his image, what are they doing? They're refusing to put to death the desires of the flesh. And they're looking more and more common to the rest of the world. You see that happening today? Here in the first century and look at the 21st century. All over the place. And what's the result of it? The church is increasingly divided. Increasingly divided as they took on, even subtly, the same attitudes, values, and priorities as the world. And it is no different today. And here in chapter 3, it's a huge chapter in Colossians, is devoted to giving instruction on how to live as Christians. Setting our mind on things above and what it means to put on the new self and live out increasingly the gospel life in the character of Jesus by his power. It gives instruction on how to live as Christians, Christ-like character, and the responsibility that we as believers saved in Jesus Christ have to put on the new self that overflows from their new identity they have in Jesus so that they grow increasingly as the picture of Jesus and the picture of the community of heaven on earth. And look at the beautiful way Paul starts this section. Verses 1 to 11, Paul reminds them of the work of Jesus in saving them and how they've been made new creations. Isn't it awesome? Are you still in awe? If you're saved in this room, are you still in awe that Jesus saved you? He didn't just give you a little facelift and kind of buff you up a little bit. He made you new. That's awesome. Everyone say, that's awesome. He made you new. How they've been made new creations. And as a result, verses 1 to 11, how they must put off or break with the old self. That, that old person is dead. Yes, there's still sin trying to tend and at work and the flesh and all this, but that old person who would give into that is dead. The sinful tendencies, and put that off and put on the new self in the power of Christ at work in them. But notice this move, so crucial. Love how the Lord wrote his word through the Apostle Paul before unpacking how they're to live as the picture of Christ. He gives them the crucial reminder of their position in Christ. Before he unpacks how to live as the picture of Christ, he gives them the reminder of their position in Christ, their identity, and it's just a snapshot. Look at start of verse 12. He says, Put on then, in light of you being a new creation, saved in Jesus Christ, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. What does God's chosen ones there mean? Circle that. God's chosen ones means those that God has chosen and elected and who have been adopted by God as his children. Chosen before the foundation of the world. Chosen before you were even a thought in your parents' minds. Chosen according to God's grace and purposes. And notice how we're described. If you are saved, adopted by God, and you are holy and beloved in him. What does that term mean? Because we can toss around the word holy a lot. Just circle it. And let's drive down what he means by Holy and beloved. Holy means you've been made new. You are pure in God's eyes. Pure. You have been made distinct. In fact, the term holy means to be set apart by God for his service through the saving work of Jesus on their behalf. See, Paul reminds them that when God looks upon his children, hey, be reminded of this today, loved ones. When God looks upon his children, he does not see them as their sin or as this world would define them. Isn't that good news? When God looks upon his children, he's not looking at you. He's not looking at me as this world or as their sin would define them. How is he looking at us? We'll just go to the text. 
He sees us as holy. He sees us as holy. Because, why, why? You say, but I still sin. What's going on? Because when God looks at his children, he sees his perfect son, Jesus. We are in Christ. He sees his perfect son, Jesus Christ, and he sees the new nature that we have in him. And he looks at us, and I don't know where you're at tonight. Maybe you're really struggling. Maybe you're struggling in sin right now. Maybe you're sitting under condemnation. Maybe you're sitting under shame and guilt. And if you are saved in Jesus Christ, God is not looking at you with the finger down here saying, get yourself right. He's saying, you are my holy and beloved child. There is no condemnation over you. There is no guilt over you. You have been saved, redeemed, and adopted. You are my son. You are my daughter. I rejoice over you with singing. He sees us as holy. And notice the second term there. Beloved. Beloved. You know what that means? Write this down. Write this down. It's mind-blowing. Get your pens ready. Write it down. It means incomprehensibly loved by God. <laughs> you and I can't even get our heads around that. Beloved. Incomprehensibly loved by God. You know what? The, you know what's so beautiful, the truth is? It's not like the love from this world. When God says you are saved in him and you are beloved... By him, it's this love, God's love for you is not based on what you do, but on who he is and his work on your behalf. Man, how many of us in this room even right now are still trying to earn God's love? And you just need to stop, child. You need to stop, and I, I need to stop. And hear that you are holy and beloved if you are saved in him. Through Jesus Christ. That's how God is viewing you right now. There is a snapshot of your identity in him. See, God's love for his children is not like the love for this world. It is steadfast, loyal. Hear the word of the Lord. Immovable, unchanging, not based on your performance. There's no condemnation in it. You can't earn it. It is immeasurable. And it, he has, through it, he's given us an eternal inheritance. And I love how we get this illustration of it in Psalm 103.11, where God says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. Incomprehensible. Do some research this week on how far the heavens are above the earth, and it'll blow your mind. See, Paul reminds them of their position, their security, their identity in God. Why? Because the more they, the Colossian church, and the more you and I today as the church understand and believe this, the more we grow in love for him and one another. And as a result of that, the more we will desire to stop living by their old ways love of God. Why? Why would I want to turn away from that? It's awesome. I'm his child. Why would I want to turn away and live in the old self, believing lies about myself? Why would I want to continue to live in that? Why would I want to continue to live in my pride that God opposes? Why would I want to continue to live in competition with my brothers and sisters? Why would I want to continue to live in the insecurity and the fear and the doubt and the lust and the coveting and the anger. Why would I want to continue looking for fulfillment in this world? Because as we grow in the love for God and understanding and we recognize the secure position we have in Jesus Christ as being holy and beloved by God, all the things of this world become increasingly unattractive. It's like there's nothing there. It's empty. Anything you and I could think we could get in this world, empty comparing to the love of God. And the security as his children. Why would, I, why would I want to go back to that insecurity and believe the lies about him and myself? And we live by God's grace from our position in him with increasing security. Am I future secure? 
Why would I be afraid of what Jesus has already defeated? Amen? Why would I be afraid of what Jesus has already defeated? I am secure in the God of the universe as his child. We live with increasing faith in him and his word, in his strength, in his peace, in his humility, in his joy, in his confidence, in his bold assurance, being filled with the Holy Spirit, loved ones, and growing in love for God and one another as we increasingly, by his power, put on the new self as his power is at work in us and we live out our new identity in Christ individually and in community. What beautiful truth. Let that saturate your heart. Hey, beloved, if you are saved here in Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sin and confessed him as your Lord and Savior. Hey, can I just remind us? I need to be reminded of this. Our identity in Jesus is a gift from God. You hear that? Our identity in Jesus is a gift from God. The position we have in him, the privilege we have in him. It is, and, and, and hey, this identity is not found or determined by anything in the world. That's good news. That's good news. We are free to truly live out who we are in him by his power. See, I love how one commentator put this. I pray this is gonna minister to your heart right now. It says, in Jesus, we do not lose our true selves, but we become our true selves. I'll say it again. In Jesus, we do not lose our true selves. We become our true selves. It doesn't stop there. It says, in Christ, we are fundamentally new. Fundamentally new. And belong to the people of heaven. The language and values and customs and expectations of this world, they increasingly feel foreign to us. We have been born again for another world to a great kind of existence. Hear the word of the Lord. Your position in Christ. Hey, Christian, your identity is found in Jesus alone. But are you living from it? And if you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, hey, in love, I'm, I want to say first off, I'm so thankful that you are here. It is not by accident that God in his sovereignty has brought you here to hear this. And if you're here and you've never confessed him as your personal Savior, I want to say this to you in love. You cannot live out your new identity in Christ because you don't have it. You're still in the old self, enslaved to sin. You are separated from a holy God, and you cannot. It's not like you can earn your way to kind of know this and understand this. You cannot know God's intimate love for his children with where you're at right now. You ready for some great news? Man, I'm so thankful Jesus doesn't leave us there. But here's some great news. Jesus stands ready to save you today and to make you a new creation. The old to be gone, the new to come. To give you an unshakable hope and future in him and with him. And here's your first step to living in your new life. Ready? Repent of your sin. Confess it to the Lord. Say, God, I am a sinner. You are a holy God. And my sin separates me from you. We repent of that. I turn from my sinful life, all those things we unpacked at the start of the message, and I turn to you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. I confess you and you alone. Not you and then five other things. You and you alone. You are my Lord. And today when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart to that. Even right now, he stands ready to save you in your seat. Right now. Just call out to him. And brothers and sisters in Christ, let me ask you this question. What identity are you living from? Or another way to say that is, what are you basing your identity in? What or who? Here's some examples to get us thinking about this, okay? How about, are you basing your identity in your job? Man, this world loves to tell us that's healthy. 
You are what you do. But hear the truth of God's word. He says, you are holy, you are beloved, you are chosen, you are my child. And here's what that means. You are not what you do. I'm going to say it again. If you are saved in Jesus Christ, you are not what you do, but you are who God says you are. And he says, you're holy. He says, you're beloved. You are mine, he says, and I love you. You are not in what you do. Are you putting your identity in your job? Okay, here's, here's a big one. For us parents, are you putting your identity in your parenting? Hey, can I just, hey parents, I wanna talk specifically to you as I'm preaching to myself right now too. Um, your identity, ready, ready? Parents, your identity is not in how your kids behave if you are saved in Jesus Christ. I'm going to say it again. Parents, your identity is not in how your kids behave. It's in who God says you are. In the grocery store, too. Been there, done that. Still doing it. Right? At the most inopportune times, everyone's kind of looking like, who's that? Who's that? Who's that one? And you're like, oh, yeah, mine. You know, like, you are not in how your, your identity is not in how your kids behave. How about this? In your relational status. Hey, singles, there's all this pressure in society to be getting married, right? All this pressure. What's going on? Your clock's ticking. You're like 24. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm hearing the amen. It's like, hey, what's the matter with you? Don't you know if you don't start like compromising on your integrity and values, you're just gonna be alone your whole life? Well, that's a big lie. But hey, singles, young adults, love you so much. I'm so thankful for every single one of you in this church. But hear the word of the Lord of what this means for you today. Your identity is not in being single. Your identity is not in you dating. Your identity, hey, is not in you getting married. Your identity is in you being a child of God. Amen? It's in you being a child of God. Are we, are we putting our identity in that? If I just get a spouse, if I just have a boy, that, really, you're missing the whole point. You are free, loved one. As a child of God, from the pressure to put your identity in those things, you put it in the one who saved you and called you by name. Are we putting in the expectations of this world in positions? Are we putting our identity in Jesus every day? And you may say, well, how do I know this? Okay, I really wanted to help us in this because it's one thing to hear it, but let's get really, you ready to get practical on this? How do I know if, my if I'm not living from my identity in Christ, okay? Get your pens ready. There's no slide for this, so let's go, okay? Number one, how do I know if I'm not living from my identity in Jesus? Number one, I'm living with anxiety and not peace. Anyone here? Maybe just me. I'm going out on a limb. Anyone here this past week feel anxious about something? Yeah, thanks, team. Go, Lord. We need him, eh? You're living with anxiety and not peace. The fear of the anxiousness of not measuring up, of, of what's going to happen to the future and what's going to happen to this. And what's... You're not living from your identity in Jesus and the one who has secured your future. Number two, how do I know I'm not living out my identity in Christ? I'm living in fear, not faith. I fear man. Anyone struggle with the fear of man? Do you know why the fear of man is allowed to fester? Because we forget who we are in Jesus Christ. And we forget his work that he has done for us. That's the only reason the fear of man has a say in your life and mine. Because we're not living from our position in him. Fear man, fear failure. Here's another one, ready? How do I know I'm not living out my position in Christ, number one, or number three, sorry, I'm living with anger and not patience when things don't go my way. See, if you remember who you and I are in Jesus Christ, if we are saved in him, what do you have to be angry about? not getting your way. Yes, there's righteous anger at sin in the world and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But even in the midst of that, are you letting it lead you to sin or are you living with peace in the midst of it? How about this? 
here's another one. Number four, how do I know I'm not living out my identity in Jesus Christ? I pursue control over pursuing surrender. I gotta control my circumstance. I gotta control what happens to me. I gotta control the future. I gotta control this, control this. Instead of, Jesus, I trust you. You are sovereign. You are the ruler over all. I am yours. I have nothing to fear. No matter how long this pandemic goes on for, I surrender it to you. You're the one turning the hearts of the kings anyway. Here's another one. Number five. How do I know we're not living from our position in Christ? Number one, or number five, sorry. I live with apathy and not fervency in my faith. Because when you remember what Jesus Christ has done for you and how much God loves you as a result, you're filled with fervency to say, let's go. There's no room for apathy there. You say, my God is awesome and he has redeemed me and he's given me hope and a future. I don't want to waste it. Let's go. There's fervency in our faith, not apathy and sitting around. Here's another one. Number six. How do we know we're not living from our position in Christ? Number one. <laughs> you know, I'm going to get it one of these times. Numbers. Maybe the Lord wants to keep going back to number one. Just get to number one, the anxiety first. I don't know. Here it is. Number six. Oh, love you, church. Here it is. Number six, we're coveting position or possession that God hasn't given you instead of living with contentment. I gotta have that position. And then you see your brothers and sisters in Christ doing what you wanna do. And you're like, why do they get, why don't I get that? You're not living from your position because you understand, you don't, you're forgetting that you and I don't deserve anything except death and hell. So why, why? would we be coveting what God has not given out of his goodness and grace and love and wisdom towards us? I'm coveting that. I want that. We're not living in contempt. Okay, number seven. How do we know we're not living from our position in Christ? We're living with resentment. This is what happens from the overflow of coveting. We live with resentment and we can't celebrate God's work in the life of another. We don't see the grace of God in someone else's life and be glad about it. We weep about it. Why is that not me? You're forgetting your position that at his right hand are pleasures forevermore that make what happens in this world look like nothing. Okay, ready for one more? How do we know we're not living from our position in Christ and our identity in him? We pursue what is sexually immoral instead of pursuing purity. Instead of pursuing purity, the lust of the flesh. What's on, guys, women, this isn't just a problem for men, it's a problem for women too. What is on the screens that you're looking at? What is in the books that you're reading? The thoughts you're entertaining? Because when you remember your position in Christ and that you are called holy and beloved and pure and set apart, you don't want to pursue that filth. We want to grow in Christ's likeness in him. And can I just say this, loved one? I mean, that's just a snapshot. Those are eight things. Just a snapshot, but we get the picture. Hey, loved one, remember your position in Christ. Remember it and say, Lord, I believe I'm chosen by you. I believe I'm done, but help my unbelief. And from this, loved ones, lay aside the weight and sin that is hindering you from increasingly putting on the new self and your new identity in him. And, and can I just encourage you one last time? You are not who this world says you are or you should be, mom, dad, student, young adult. You are who God says you are, his child, holy and beloved, and if you need to be renewing your mind in this, Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 and Romans 8 are a wonderful place to start. Do that this week. Open up God's word and be reminded of who you are in him. All right, uncommon character marks uncommon community. Here it is, ready? We must live from our identity in Jesus. And as we do, here it is, it frees us up to live now with the character of Jesus, with the character of Jesus. Hey, Jesus is the standard for all uncommon character. Jesus is our standard. Hey, question for you and me. Are you and I living like him? Are you and I living like him? Look at verses 12 
to 14. I'll just read that first part again. So good. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Okay, what are we putting on? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. See, Paul says that based on their position in Jesus, their identity in him, their standing before God, they have responsibilities. We got responsibilities. They must increasingly, what? Look at verse 12. Put on. The, the term put on there means clothe yourself. So next time you're getting dressed, next time you're putting your coat on, putting your shoes on, put all this stuff, getting ready for the day, I want you to think, okay, I'm putting on a jacket. Am I putting on Jesus? Am I putting on Jesus? Clothe themselves with the character, conduct, and image of Jesus in the gospel life. If they are to be faithful in living in the uncommon community, they're called to be and witness his glory displayed in and through them. And you say, well, what does, this, what does it mean to put on Jesus? Praise the Lord, he tells us right here. Ready? First thing, we're going to move through these right here. He tells us the character of Jesus we need to put on, number one, is compassion. Compassion. Look at verse 12. It's so clear right out of the text. God's chosen ones, put on then, holy and beloved, put on compassionate hearts. You know what the term compassion there means? Because we can skew this so easily. It means mercy or pity. Put on mercy today. Put it on tomorrow. To have deep feeling about someone else's difficulty. And you notice where it says hearts? That means from the innermost parts of us. It actually means the gut, the bowels of us. Put on compassion from the innermost parts. See, compassion weeps with those who weep. It mourns with those who mourn. Compassion does not rejoice at another's pain or trial. And compassion is not indifferent towards it. We see this in Jesus Christ, modeled perfectly. Matthew 9, 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he looked out on them, and he had compassion on them like sheep without a shepherd. The perfect compassion of the Savior. Hey, question, are you putting on compassion in your family, with your coworkers, with your neighbors, with your roommates? All right, next thing we see here. Character of Jesus, compassion. Let's read the text. Number two, kindness. Kindness, look what it says. Compassionate hearts and kindness. What does kindness mean? It means goodness. Goodness, it is, I love this, a gracious sensitivity toward others to meet their needs, no matter the cost to oneself. A gracious sensitivity toward others to meet their needs. Doesn't that sound like Acts 2 from last week? And they sold their possessions and gave to any who had need. There's the uncommon community no matter the cost to oneself of time, talents, or treasures. See, and this is triggered by a genuine care and compassion for them. And you notice, there's no, like, um, exceptions here, regardless if that person has hurt you or you think they deserve it or not. Man, do we ever need Jesus, eh? It's really easy to to show kindness to those who've been kind to us, isn't it? How about when they're not? There's the uncommon community. And we see this in Christ in Romans 2.4. It says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Praise the Lord for his kindness. Hey, loved ones, are you putting on kindness? Can I, and can I just encourage us this with this Hope Ottawa Never think anyone around you, look at this room filled right now, just, just never think anyone in this room or outside of it around you is beyond the need for the kindness of Christ. They can put on a good face, but never think anyone is beyond needing the kindness of Christ. And here's the challenge, okay? Little challenge, kindness challenge this week. Hey, five acts of Christ-like kindness each day to your brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church or in other churches and to non-believers. Five acts a day. That's the challenge this week. 
kindness challenge. Say, Lord, who is it? When? How? Let's go. Let's have a culture. The church is to be a culture of kindness. All right, next. Character of Jesus, compassion, kindness, and put off the old self and put on humility. Humility, there's that word again. Hey, it shows up all the time. What does humility mean? If you remember from a couple weeks ago, it means lowly. The lowliness of human pride and self-love and self-governance. I'm not the master of my destiny. I don't make the final call. Jesus is my king and my Lord. See, the humble person casts their anxieties on the Lord and doesn't try to play God. Count others. The humble person counts others more significant than themselves and looks not only to their own interests, but the interests of others. And we see this right from Christ, modeled perfectly. Philippians 2.8, to the point of death he humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. The humble heart showers others with grace, even if that person is not shown it. Here's why. Do you know why? Do you know why the character of Jesus is humble? Because he's not. <laughs> it means when we walk in humility, we're not keeping score. Are you keeping score? We're not keeping score. And I heard this recently. I was so convicted by it. You know, grace is only hard to give when you're keeping score. I'll say it again. Grace is only hard to give when you're keeping score. Are you keeping score? You did this to me, so I'm not going to do... Humility doesn't keep score. Because the humble heart is aware of how desperate they need the Lord themselves. And how undeserving of God's grace we are. You'll see this on the screen. Here's the result. The humble community is the grace-filled community. The humble community is the grace-filled community. Are you putting on humility? Okay, next one. Put on then compassionate hearts, kindness, humility. Here it is. Meekness. What is meekness? Let's be clear on something. Meek does not mean weak. Can you say that with me, loved ones? Meek does not mean weak. There it is. Meek does not mean weak. It is, here's what meekness means, gentleness. Gentleness, gentle strength, power with reserve, power that is under control of the Holy Spirit. That's meekness. You're not trying to flex your muscles and domineer and win an argument. Meek is gentle. Gentle with children, gentle with adults, gentle of all, across all ages, races, and ethnicities. Meekness is gentleness. And meekness means willing to suffer insult or injury rather than inflict it. There's meekness. We see this in, modeled perfectly in Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, I am gentle and lowly. I am gentle and lowly. See, the meek person is not harsh. The meek person doesn't have to be harsh. They're secure in their identity in Jesus. They know he's in control. They don't have to domineer. They're fooling themselves. They think otherwise. The meek person is not harsh. It doesn't lash out. The meek person does not demand its own way or their own preferences for how things should be done. Loved one, hey, Hey, are you putting on meekness in your families? Are you putting on meekness with your spouse or your coworkers or your roommates or your, here it is, your church family? Are you gentle with them and how you talk to them? Just turn on social media and you'll see this is not common to live like this, even in the church. Next. Meek, put on then, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Patience, bearing with one another. I love this. That word patience there means long-suffering and long-tempered. You're in it for the long haul, loved ones. It means you are not quick to anger. You're not quickly frustrated 
when things don't go your way. You're not holding resentment and you're not desiring revenge. Can I just stop for a second? I want to read the room for a moment here. Is anyone else feeling the massive need for a savior right now? Maybe it's just me. But you and I see very clearly we cannot measure up to this. Watch this. Watch this. Rather, patience, it bears and stands firm in love with one another and doesn't bail out when things get hard. If I could sum that up, I'd say this. There's no cancel culture in the uncommon community. I'll say it again. It is unacceptable for there to be a cancel culture in the uncommon community. Jesus has not canceled us out, praise the Lord. We are not to cancel each other out. Regardless if your preference gets met or not. Putting on the character of Christ means we're in it for the long haul, loved ones. Bearing with one another. As Jesus bears with us. Jesus has not left his bride. We are not leaving each other. Amen. That's what I'm talking about, sweetheart. That's right. There's no cancel culture. Hey, question. Are you putting on patience? Are you putting on long-suffering? Okay, here. Two more. Put on, then, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and, here it is, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. The word forgive there means this, to pardon and to extend or give favor generously, freely, and unlimitedly. Generously, freely, and unlimitedly. And we see this in Matthew 18, 22, where the disciples come up and they say, how many times do I have to forgive someone who sins against me? Like seven? They're thinking, yeah, I'm going to knock it out of the park. Seven times? And Jesus is like, 70 times seven. 70 times. Now, for you guys, they're like, okay, so I'm, all, I'm at about 480. No, chill. It means unlimited. We are to extend forgiveness. See, as Jesus has forgiven and continues to forgive you and I, when we betray him in sinful attitudes and actions. We are to extend that same forgiveness. And you may say this, and I want to speak to you. This is very delicate. I want to speak to you, loved ones. You may be here saying, this is so hard. I, I can't. I won't forgive that person for what they've done to me. And as your lead shepherd under the shepherding of Jesus Christ as his under-shepherd, I want to say this. Um, it's possible in Christ to forgive, but it doesn't mean it's always easy. You may say the pain is too much. The hurt is too deep. It makes me too vulnerable, and I'm too fearful. But based on the beautiful work of the gospel from our Savior, I want you to write this down. You'll see it on the screen. Forgiveness doesn't minimize what has happened to you, but it exalts what Jesus has done for you. I'm going to say it again. Forgiveness doesn't minimize what has happened to you, loved one. There are some terrible things that have been done to people in this room. It's not minimizing that, but it's exalting what Jesus has done for you in forgiving you when you were his enemy and continuing to forgive you as you and I sin against him today. Here's what forgiveness means. It means you're releasing that person to God, his perfect justice, his perfect love, and his perfect wisdom. And it means you are entrusting yourself to your loving, gracious, powerful just and faithful creator and father while doing good. There's forgiveness. You see, and often, can't we just fall into this? Often we think that holding on to unforgiveness kind of gives us control. 
We feel like we got more control. We got more power when we hold on to unforgiveness. But guess what, loved ones? On the truth of God's word, it actually does the opposite for you. Unforgiveness, I've heard it this way, and it's very, very good. Unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison and expecting the other person to die. It never gives you what you think it will. It can't. It hinders you from living in the Christ-purchased power and freedom that you have in Jesus through the gospel. Hey, question, are you putting on forgiveness today? Maybe right now in your seat, say, Lord, the pain is so real, but I'm choosing by faith to live in my new identity in you. I am secure in you. You love me. I am your child, and I cast this pain. Help me to forgive as you have forgiven me. Loved one, who do you need to release to God and extend forgiveness to? Don't wait. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who sin against. Do not forfeit God's forgiveness. Who do you need to release to God? Don't wait. Freedom, hope, joy, and the peace of the Lord are on the other side of it. All right, last one. Last one. What a beautiful text. Here it goes. Bearing with one another in love, or bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Here it is, character of Jesus. And above all these, most importantly, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Above all means everything else flows out of this. What love is he talking? What is he meaning there, love? Here's what it means. Supernatural love, doing what God prefers. That's what that term means. Doing what God prefers in his power into the life of another in thought, how we think about them, in how we speak about them, and how we act towards them. Put on love. Love poured into, a supernatural love poured into our hearts from God that grows us in our love for him and for one another and for the lost. You see, look at the illustration Paul uses. Supernatural, God's love is like the crazy glue. Hey kids, kids, up here, where's my eyes? Yes, yes, all right kids, way to hang in there. Love ya, come on. Here's the, here's the thing, when you go into school or you go into daycare, you go into kindergarten, whatever you're doing, and you see a glue bottle, I want you to think, just binding everything together. You look at that glue stick, tell your teacher, go Lord. Tell your classmates, this is a picture of God's love. It binds us together in harmony, in unity. It is the crazy glue of uncommon community that binds all these other virtues together and unifies the church. We see that in 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7. You want to check out what it looks like? There it is. Write it down. 1 Corinthians 13, 1-7. Matthew 22. There's the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And John 13, 34-35. Jesus says, they will know you're my disciples if you... Love one another. Love as I have loved you. There it is. And that's why one of the greatest prayers we could ever pray to sum all this up is this. Lord, help me to love you more. Lord, help me to love you more. And look at the world today, beloved. Just look at the world today. Do you think the world would notice if we increasingly lived with the character of Jesus? Hey, team, can you put that, all those sub points on the screen for us? Do you think the world would notice if we lived with this character right here? It's pretty uncommon, isn't it? You bet they would. See, this is the community of heaven that we are called to be on earth. And the one who Jesus has modeled perfect character for. And now through his work on the cross has empowered us to be through the Holy Spirit. And through which he's promised to draw many others to himself as we proclaim the gospel on our lips and in our lives. Living from our identity in him and living with the character of him by his power for his glory. Jesus is the standard for uncommon community. Are you living like him? And so we're gonna end our service today a little different. God calls us to be a house of prayer. This is a hard message to hear, isn't it? A good message to hear, though. A needed message. But we're going to spend five minutes in corporate prayer together. Husbands, I want you to grab the hand of your wives. 
Wives or husbands, I want you to grab your kids if they're in the pew with you. Singles, I want you to go. You can either pray by yourself or grab someone near. And we're just going to go and ask the Lord quietly, right where you are. We're going to see these points on the screen, right there. And we're going to be praying a prayer of repentance of where we have been compromising on this. We're going to ask the Lord for repentance in our own hearts. We're going to confess it. Men, men, on behalf of your families, confess it. And let's lead in this. And let's call on the Lord. Say, Lord, help us to love you more. Help us. Where am I? Lord, I confess where I'm not living from my identity in you. I confess where I'm putting my identity in the world. I confess. And, and Lord, help me to forget. Just let's let it roll. Five minutes, loved ones, okay? Five minutes, and then we're going to respond in worship. We're going to respond in worship. Let's go, team. Let's roll it.
beautiful. It's so right. Jesus is so beautiful, isn't he? No wonder God says my house will be a house of prayer. It's so beautiful. There's freedom. There's hope. There's strength. There's joy. And so as we, res as we respond in worship now, let's let this last song, it's called Lord, I Need You. Let's let this be a declaration of desperation. God draws near to the desperate. Amen? So let this be a declaration of our desperation. For Let's sing this loud. Let's sing this from the, the heart, the innermost parts, and declare that, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, our hope is in you. And Jesus, we set our hearts upon you. Amen? Let's sing it loud. Let's go. Let's go.